With a plan to hire 35,000 interns this year alone, the Biden administration means to revive the government's internship program. It's been dwindling for years. Beyond the headcount, though, the White House is pushing agencies to pay their interns, also all of them. The Office of Personnel Management wants to help, but there's a lot of work to do. After attending an OPM internship experience event this week, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman files this report. The Biden administration's emphasis on early career federal hiring starts in large part with interns. And they're beginning to get a lot more attention in even the senior most levels of government. The Office of Personnel Management, as part of a new experience program, has been offering workshops, events, and more for this year's summer cohort. OPM Deputy Director Rob Shriver spoke to interns at this week's event. You guys wouldn't believe how often we talk about you at the highest levels of government. All the time we talk about how can we get more interns into the federal government, how can we make sure they have a good experience, and how can we turn them into the pipeline of um, the future jobs in the federal government. This program is part of the internship experience program that we've been leading at OPM. And it really is designed to help you get the most out of your federal internship experience. We want to ensure that you have professional development opportunities, access to mentors, coaching, training, and more. Your internship should be educational, rewarding, and, of course, fun. And Education Secretary Miguel Cardona, the event's keynote speaker, had some words of advice for the interns, too. Don't limit yourself to your current goals. Be open-minded. I would also say um, don't change your stripes. Right now I feel like I'm making a difference and I'm staying true to my values, my core values, and uh, what I wanted to do, which was serve, right? Serve kids. I started with 21 kids. Now there's 65 million, but I'm still serving students. Don't think you can predict what's going to happen 10 years from now. Work hard. Stay true to yourself. Continue to believe in yourself. Doors may open that you weren't even expecting um, because you were so focused on this door. There's a bigger door over here that opened and you weren't paying attention because you were so focused on this door. Yeah, that's, I think that's my fatherly <laughs> secretary advice. Federal internships are a common path into early career public service and they're a way for agencies to make a better pipeline to early career feds as just 7% of the federal workforce is currently under the age 30. Many interns do have largely positive, rewarding experiences that often come with a ripple effect. Katie Keim is an intern at OPM working on the rollout of the new Postal Service Health Benefits Program. As soon as I became a part of their team, I pretty much jumped right in, started working with some of the comments, and I actually got to help out with doing some memo drafting with the regulation, which has been awesome and has been an incredible opportunity. What I've found within my internship is I've been given a lot of projects where it's not filing. It's not, you know, the boring grunt work. It's genuinely work that is impacting people. This experience has really solidified the fact that I want to work in government after um, my undergraduate career, and I don't think that's going to change. But to make an even stronger pipeline of early career feds, it'll take more work on the front end. To add to the to-do list, the Biden administration is pushing agencies to pay all of their interns. Paid internships have existed in the federal government for decades. Agencies have several ways to offer paid positions. For example, through the Pathways Program, a streamlined authority for hiring post-secondary interns, a cyber course scholarship for service, and many more. Agencies can also contract with third-party internship providers that offer payment. The General Services Administration is one of many agencies that does offer some paid opportunities. 
Katie Kale is GSA Deputy Administrator. We want to offer you opportunities to grow and advance and serve the American people. We also believe that you should be able to build your careers and get paid for the time and the talent that you bring. We have seen that unpaid internships are a barrier to hardworking, talented, and really creative individuals. So we offer paid internships to help remove barriers to equal opportunity for low-income students and first-generation professionals at the beginning of their careers. So through our internships, our ACE mentoring programs, and our Emerging Leaders programs, we are excited to have you join us. And these are ways that we can participate in the work experience, the training, the networking, and developmental opportunities designed to build technical and leadership skills while developing a broad knowledge of the agency and the core uh, functions that, of which you serve. But inconsistencies in paid internship opportunities have left others, like former federal intern Michelle Liang, with a more negative experience. Liang, who's now a fellow at advocacy group Pay Our Interns, called out the federal government for advertising paid internships through Pathways as a solution to achieve equitable workforce pipelines, but at the same time restricting access with terms and conditions, like requiring graduate degrees. Unpaid internships are a major issue of diversity as well. It can cost $6,000 to take a three-month internship, and that's something that disproportionately impacts black and Latino college students and is a massive barrier for low-income individuals. Carlos Mark Vera is the founder of advocacy group Pay Our Interns. According to studies, black and Latino intern students are the least likely to do unpaid or just intern at all. This kind of goes back to the racial wealth gap, right? We know that exists. It's tenfold between white families versus other families of colors. And one way of gaining wealth is like through careers, right? So when you kind of create this glass ceiling and people can't enter these sectors because they can't afford to work there, that reproduces inequality. And now OPM is trying to change that narrative. Shriver says the agency has been looking at ways to revamp the regulations for the Pathways program, now more than a decade old. He's looking to open the door to more applicants. OPM plans to publish a proposed rule later this summer on that expansion plan, aiming to better reflect agency needs, candidate preferences, and best practices that have evolved since the regulations were first developed. Right now, the Pathways program is focused mainly on recruiting four-year college graduates, but they're looking to expand that to include trade schools and community colleges. Still, with all that red tape, Carlos Mark Vera, who's the founder of Pay Our Interns, is trying to get agencies to make an even bigger push. You know, when we've reached out to agencies around this issue, they're like, well, we have pathways and that's paid. And look, that's awesome. But pathways can't be the only way you get into an agency. You get your foot in the door. Additionally, it's quite complicated sometimes. You know, it's not something that's an easy process. And what we've noticed is, while Pathways is paid, there are all these other student volunteership programs that somewhat feels like the Wild West, and those are all unpaid. And they're not always collecting the best data. They're not sending that to OPM. And that is the area that like, we want OPM and other um, agencies that are related to this to be working on it. Long months of advocacy from Vera and other payer intern staff ultimately helped lead to the White House and the State Department starting to offer paid internships internally. In both instances, Vera said Congress had to authorize not just funding, but also the specific language to be able to pay those interns. Now the group is aiming to broaden those successes government-wide. Vera explained more. We have talked to certain agencies, you know, tell us, like, look, we actually have funds to pay interns in these student volunteer programs, but we legally cannot. So they have to, like, 
do like MOUs with universities, which could take months. They give the money to universities and the universities give the money to students. And I'm just like, kind of like, we're in a time where we need more young talent than ever. Why are we creating these additional hurdles? Particularly since the president did state in his directive that he wanted 35,000 federal interns for 2023. And I mean, I don't know if they're going to hit that target to be very honest with you. And while there may be a long road ahead to diversifying internship opportunities, current federal interns said their experiences have been on the whole positive, and they had some recommendations on how to improve early career recruitment. Jamie Feuerman is an intern in OPM's Office of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility. I would definitely say it's important to emphasize that not all government work is like strictly going to be political work. There's so many different fields. You know, I've talked to interns who never were considering a federal position and this just happens to be adjacent to what kind of career path they want and they're happening to do do that work in government and even though you know I personally love doing government work I think it's important to acknowledge that you know not everybody who is my age necessarily wants to do political work and they associate the government with political work so just emphasizing the diversity of fields that government has agencies are also part of the heart of government and you know people need to acknowledge that too and you know getting to hear about that is important drew friedman federal news network check out drew's story at federalnewsnetwork.com Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role, even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people. uh, And that's what I do. And I I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both 
uh, arena. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always make sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot... And please understand, when I say I cannot, it's it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, And I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision. Right. And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that we rely on them. It's not just nice to have. We rely on. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we, and the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause and, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this and I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. (laughs) Um, Describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader, because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, 
you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It's it's needed, uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the Deep South, you know, you you, you just learn those things, and that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest, here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's it's easy. Yes, right? yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. You, yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice, if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you're asking for one, but I'm, I'm going to have to elaborate on two, yeah, if that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can it's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.